Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Raf. Uh, you just told me you're not feeling so great. <laughs> no, I just have a have a stomach ache. I'm lactose intolerant, and I'm in Hamburg today. And with my coffee this morning, I had this bio milk uh, with 3.8 percent milk, and it looked so tasty. <laughs> this idea of, I was like 3.8% I've never seen that before <laughs> I'll try that and, and then like two hours later I started getting a stomach ache and it hasn't gone away and I, yeah. took, I, ha- I travel with like lactose pills so I'm like an old man cheese fondue is not for you yeah I'm gonna go get some raclette after this yeah <laughs> like so you can't some, eat cheese that much I can as long as it's like aged cheese okay because that's like one of the biggest joys cheese. in life. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, I can... Cheese is actually better. So, yeah, I don't know if this this is going to be the dairy podcast, but... Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, <let's> theme, <laughs> the theme today is just going to be... What, what causes the biggest futz? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I just got stomach, ache, stomach aches, no gas or anything. Just like uh, really painful stomach aches. I always wondered if, if food allergies have existed through time but no one ever acknowledged them or if they have come up more in modern uh, in the modern age yeah well i do know like someone just told me uh, while i was talking to them about uh, milk that soy milk is is not is the reason that a lot of children have peanut allergies now because yeah uh, who knows so someone was the, saying is someone was saying that uh, this comedian a mexican woman who came up very poor and she said food allergies only happen to rich people when you're hungry mm. you don't have food allergies yeah, yeah, it does seem some t- like the celiac, which became like this gluten intolerance. But there is it. Maybe maybe it's just like industrial or like urban areas have a lot of um, yeah, just a lot of it's, allergen. It's difficult uh, because there's so many variables. Mm-hmm. So to yeah. pinpoint what it is, and then uh, it might be gluten that's processed a certain way, or it might be gluten that's. Uh, combined with certain vegetables or it might be gluten that's combined with sugar or and then try to figure that out yeah no I know when I had this so we're just gonna go here when I had this lactose intolerance I thought I had like stomach ulcers because I was traveling I was really stressed and I was like oh it must be the stress in my life and then then you go on WebMD and and you think you have uh, Ebola yeah like I thought I was gonna maybe have stomach cancer and I went to see a doctor (laughs) and he's like could be anything doesn't like WebMD has a sort of questionnaire and you always end up with cancer (laughs) (laughs) and so they did like a gastroscopy which is like putting a camera in my stomach and they they, had to be like they had to set it sedate does that go through your mouth yeah and then the doctor, I sat down with him. I was like, just give it to me straight, doc. And he's like, so I'm going to prescribe Zantac 150. <laughs> <laughs> it's like over the counter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's like just a but anti-acid. The, like, it's the, like, there are people you- who use anti-acid for overeating. Like, they, they're like, oh, I'll have pizza and barbecue and fried chicken. And then I'll just have some anti-acids to survive that. I see. Yeah. But yeah, they're probably not eating the right things. No. Anyway, he didn't even know it was like a lactose allergy. I just eventually, like you said, there's a lot of variables and you pinpoint one variable and the variable in this case was like every day, that every time I had a cappuccino, which was just once a week, I would get these terrible stomach aches. Yeah. So it's like, oh, what is it? Coffee or milk? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, turns out it's milk. And my mom was like, yeah, I told you that. <laughs> you've, all, you've always had that. But it seems such a generational thing of... Uh, um, 
I don't know if it's also over hygiene of kids growing up with computers and not going outside. And I, I don't know if that applies to you. Mm. But there, there, there are theories that if you didn't play in the mud and then if, if you just extrapolate this life of like a screen-based child who grows up with an, an AI that's very friendly and the child is afraid of outside and of other people because other people are mean, but the AI is mm-hmm. always friendly. And then mm-hmm. you get this sort of bubble boy no mm. immune system uh, and right. afraid of other people and just completely you know and just extrapolating i like where you're going with this because you're getting to like kind of a there's a oh, well, social yeah, yeah. allergy that might oh develop. there we go yeah yeah <laughs> there we go into this week's topic and, uh, yeah i mean for me topic. for sure the the internet was liberating that it, it, so much of the art world it, uh, getting to show something is a lot about sh- schmoozing and the mm-hmm. internet, yeah. you, you just don't have to do that. Yeah, well, you, but you kind of do. I mean, you started out in a social club on the internet, like a surf. Yeah, club. but I started before that, and mm-hmm. I just put stuff online, and uh, there was no schmoozing. What was the schmoozing like uh, in like nasty? Were you part of Nasty Nets? Which one were you part of? No, I was I was part of Neen, which is before. Oh yeah, surf, right, right. I was right. before blogs. Yeah, I I wasn't. So you were never a member of a surf club? No. Maybe do our listeners know what surf clubs are? Um, well, I, yeah, but I was never much of a web surfer to begin with. So, but I mean, like the surf clubs, like there were these a lot, quite a few internet artists in the mid two thousands sort of formed these collectives that were they called them surf clubs. Like they would basically surf, like find references, post work all together on one website. Yeah, but I think a big thing of surf clubs was also being. Uh, going further than most people's browsing. So, uh, you know, a lot of people will go on Google image search and find a funny image, but they would do that for 48 hours straight and like have all kinds of hacks to search even further and mm-hmm. to find image directories. And so it's, 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 um, it's like there are it, regular it's, people it's who re- go related surfing, to hoarding, like I think. Yeah, but it's, it's related right. to hoarding, I think. I always thought of it like um, because Corey Archangel has like his uh, fashion line called Surfwear for yeah. comfortable browsing. I always thought of it as almost like a sports league or something. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, like there's a person that would go surfing on vacation or who skateboards from time to time. But then there are those people that like do it, you know, all day long and they get sponsorship and they're like <laughs> they're like refining their technique. They're like modifying. Yeah, it's all their about board. the branding. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It's just like the little details. You know, they're really into it. So it was a way of like yeah. sort of branding that activity. But the thing that, um, the reason I asked you, you about it is Were you like, part of a surf club? A surf club? I wasn't, but I was like, because I kind of started rising up just after they they were sort of finishing. Um, and that, But I was part of a collective, an artist collective early on um, that was making non-internet related work, was making video work um, called 640-480. And our idea was like, what if... All, we could sell video it was very naive but like so we did all these like projects where we made vis- uh, video physical and actually what's ironic is it was the most successful saleable time of my career <laughs> like <laughs> and, I made more money I think at that time than I've ever made since uh, how many people were in the collective it was like um, at, at our peak maybe it was like 10 people in the collective and we operated for like four or five years maybe a little less three or four years uh, and then, yeah, so that's what's it's on my mind this week working with other artists because I'm here in Hamburg working with some other artists in a in a sort of a temporary kind of collective 
setting that was forced by some curators, but I went along with it and I'm excited about it, but it, there's also problems that come along with it that, that remind me of when I was first in a collective and I haven't had to experience that in a long time. I've had the selfish solo career for a few years, but did you ever work with other artists? Um, well, I was part of a, there was Nin, which was an art movement. And the the idea was mm -hmm. that it's, it's bigger than a group of people. It's something that anyone can Mm -hmm. Take the problem with the art movement was that it was undefinable, so nobody knew what it was except the people who were in it. So it was kind of like a collective. But did you ever have to make a decision together? Yeah, a little bit about exhibitions, like uh, group shows, but not mm -hmm. uh, not work itself. You never made like a collective work, like one work that everyone made. No, we made a book together at some point, but that's documentation. It was not really a work. But mm. I, I, who I made must the design decisions. <laughs> Multiple people, yeah. But mm. it, I must say that um, I'm. I mean, it's an interesting topic, but I hate discussing work, and I think discussing work is poisonous. And it makes work terrible. I really believe that. Mm. Oh, like when, like making, having a discussion about a work. Yeah, because it, I think art is really. Uh, I there are few exceptions, but there's something interesting about art that it's the. The, the hyper individual and the the brain the being unfiltered and, and stream of consciousness and things just happening and it's so opposed to everything mm -hmm. else the way the world works everything else is like let's sit down and make something that makes sense mm -hmm. like it, like for fresh books of course it makes sense that you guys sit down and think like okay we're going to add this new feature but then somebody's like well I don't know if that feature is a good thing because we have 10% of the users and they yeah you know yeah and there's like a but there's a certain hierarchy in corporate culture that in an artist collective the word collective is actually uh, meaningful and there's a historic kind of precedent for it like the idea was always that artists come around with and they all are represented as equals and they share sometimes around a resource and I think in ancient Greece the first artist collectives started around marble uh, like mines or something like that and they shared collectively they shared the marble together um, but like in recent or contemporary like the last 100 years uh, art collective meant like you might come around a shared ideology or movement but, uh, like you did with Neen yeah so, but there's a big difference between an art movement mm -hmm. like uh, the Stell or the Futurists or, yeah, and they or sign Nien. a manifesto together yeah and, uh, but they still make individual works and then there's a collective like Gilbert and George or General Idea and then General Idea I think is the one that stood out for me when I was growing up as an artist because they're mm -hmm. Canadian and yeah. uh, also like that's a oh, there's a fascinating story there I just remembered so did you know General Idea is really funny so the way it started actually you know the way it ended up we all know is it was like uh, three guys uh you know, A.A. Bronson, who's still alive, and the other two members that everyone forgets. And, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but the reason they're forgotten is they died of AIDS, uh, and they were making work um, about that at, during the 80s when it was, as a collective, when it was, like, you know, politically a really horrible time for a lot of a lot of people because their friends were dying, right? Yeah. But what was interesting is uh, a few years ago, I was at an opening A.A. Bronson had in Toronto, um, and I met him and I was talking to, to him, but then I, I met some, f some friends of his came up and I was like, who are you? And they're like, oh, we're, um, I, it, I'm honey and I'm Mimi and Mimi. And I was like, what honey and Mimi, who are you? We're like, we're members of general idea. And I said, 
what? What? No, there are no women in general idea. It's gay men with AIDS and two of them are dead. <laughs> <laughs> and Mimi said to me, uh, no, actually, I was AA's girlfriend when General Idea was founded, and I was I was declared Miss General Idea at the General Idea pageant in 1974 or something. And I was like, "What are you talking about? They, they were the collective. It was always these three guys." Da da da. And she's like, "No, actually, I'm quite bitter about that. They, you know, they re they they sort of reappropriated the collective and changed their identity. So they were straight white guys, and we were all having parties together. And General Idea was like a social club." And we all just got together and we had great parties and then we started doing some shows together. But then they, you know, they started getting shows on their own and they excluded us. And I'm still bitter about that. Ouch. And, you know, I was I was a girlfriend of, of, of AA. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. It's so fascinating. And then she like, we went on to collaborate together because she had this work. She asked me if I could help her with a, a technical problem. And I was like, okay. And it turned into a project, but I won't go into that. <laughs> it, the, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, general sorry. idea, it, uh, I always interrupt people. I don't know. Go no, ahead. That's okay. No, no. I just thought yeah. it was really funny because the collective was, was social and really fun and festive. And then like, you know, there was, there's always an argument. So the one thing about working with other artists is, what you were saying is great about artists not working together is also which terrible about them working together, which is that they usually develop like a very strong point of view on the world, like a very kind of like, and it, you could say it's egocentric, but it's, it, if anything, it's just like one singular thought that's refined, you know, more and more, you know, th for, for like sometimes up to a hundred years, like you're Louis Bourgeois, you're working with the same idea, but getting more and more focused with it for a hundred years kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you're lucky. It's. I think it's just me personally. I don't like working with themes. I don't like when a curator asks me to respond to a context. I don't like talking to people about my work. Mm, interesting. So it's. And maybe that's why I have a hard time understanding collectives. It, it, I just remembered when you were talking about. Oh, I thought you guys were all gay men with AIDS, and then <laughs> I, I thought of uh, Nick and Dan of AIDS 3D, which was oh, a collective. Yeah. yeah. And it was two guys, and I remember they had a studio visit with the important curator, and she was very disappointed that they weren't gay and they weren't German. She, <laughs> <laughs> she felt tricked. They're like the opposite of that. They're like, there's probably like girls in the back, and they're high on drugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so, I shouldn't have said that. I mean, they're, they're nice guys, but I mean, they're famous for being DJs and like having party guy, yeah, party culture built around them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, th that was a collective that I saw from up close, and mm -hmm. um, it didn't work out, and they split ways, and now they're trying to figure out what they are on their own. But, uh, but I noticed that they're both kind of back in it uh, indiv individually. Nick and Dan are both doing their own thing. I, I, mean, I think on and off, but they both had a, a sort of very painful relationship th knowing that... They, I, this is about collective, so it's not too much about... I don't want to speak for no, them. No, no, but yeah, but, you don't speak for them. But I can say that when I was in my collective, eventually we had disagreements that were impossible to resolve. Like, I'll well, tell you that... Yeah, we, we had a previous episode about art movements, and I, I mm -hmm. think it's the same thing. Like, you, you're excited in the beginning because you're more visible together, and mm -hmm. then everybody starts doing embarrassing things and you're like, oh shit, my name is here too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and exactly, yeah, that's exactly it. And you start to feel like, ooh, I'm embarrassed by what these other people are doing. Yeah. Or, or this, like, you, like you, compromising You start out making, making art about the galaxy, and it's all paintings <laughs> of stars. And then all of a sudden, somebody's like, I want to make paintings of turds, and, and you're signing it together. <laughs> well, yeah, I can remember there was, like, in my collective, there's one guy, and I was, I was really kind of best friends with him. And then, like, whatever we do... Um, we do like a show we'd like be like where is he and he'd be like at the bar chatting with a woman or something <laughs> we'd be like <laughs> and you know so he's like more and more context where he's like not behaving the way we all thought was appropriate um but he was really talented we were all everyone was super talented i mean but then i yeah. remember that there was this one situation where he was like being cranky about something and I thought he should apologize and this is as, as much on me as it was on him but I was like I can't believe you can't apologize so I apologized first cause, <laughs> and then he wouldn't apologize back and I was like all you need to do is apologize and we can move forward together and he's like he wouldn't re- apologize yeah. and, and famously for me anyway like I, we left this bar and we never spoke to each other again it's funny that m- most art collectives will uh, break over aesthetic reasons and you start over uh, rudeness that's that's the <laughs> cutting point for you yeah well it was because you know it was a classic fight i'm sure listeners who have ever worked with other people are have been in this arrangement even if it was temporary where there's there's a view that like so there's an idea and then the group gets behind the idea and someone maybe is not so behind the idea and the group's like come on stupid like this is a good idea let's just do it but you ignored my idea right like there'll be this thing like how come you don't like my ideas no one ever likes ideas <laughs> and then so it's like look we chose the idea that makes the most sense with the context and da, 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 da. and and then that person gets like cranky and they look for ways to kind of undermine yeah but the group. i think already when you say it makes the most sense that to me is already very problematic <laughs> yeah exactly because you're, you're not sense to me. you're not you're not an engineer yeah. You're not like, oh, th- this chipset makes more sense than the other. Right, and, there's no objective truth no. about good ideas. And so that's, that to me is the key problem with the, when you discuss art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and so in those, I remember in that context, like that person then like found other ways to undermine the group, you know, like, oh, I'm not going to work on that. Wasn't, but didn't pick my idea. Kind of in the beginning, it was fruitful. It, it, like the collective, the energy, yeah. the, the sum yeah. was greater than the parts. Like I said, like in the beginning, I think it was the most successful I've ever been because you get this like in a collective what you get right away. So if you're in school, like I always if like to young artists, I'm always like form a collective. It's a great way to get started because it's like remove doubts. Well, first of all, if there's one of you, you're working one to one to meet everyone. And what we saw said at the start is like a lot of your opportunities are going to come from networking. So if you have two of you, now you've doubled the number of network connections mm. that you have. Mm. And if there are three of you, you've tripled it and it's exponential. So I think in our collective of five, when it was at five or six, which I think was ideal, it was like everyone was kind of aligned. We all knew what we wanted to do. And then like we had like thousands of people in our networks that we could leverage and and equipment and money and like space. And there was always opportunities and we could choose and we could also it was great because you didn't feel like you have to say yes to everything, you know, in a way that was, there was power in the group because we Mm -hmm. could like, we had authority to say no to things. All these things that took me like another like 15 years to build up the courage to do on my own. Um, so as a collective viewer, it's a really, sh- it's a quick shortcut to like mid-career kind of uh, maturity. I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening who are like, well, I started a collective and that didn't happen. I yeah, want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And right now I'm working with a collective that's temporary. 
And it's really interesting to go back into it. So I've had two, yeah. I had another collective that failed. Uh, it was more of a collaboration with other artists. You and I are working, I think, collectively on this podcast, but well, I'm working. Well, I think it, the word collective really means that you spend, you do 80% of your work together. It's not like mm. two artists who uh, collaborate. Collaborate on one show. That's a different thing. Yeah. Okay. So I'm collaborating with like four other artists, but we created a brand similar to like um, I was trying to I was trying to help lead the discussion. Like I'm the I was I was hired by the curators to lead this group, so it's a bit weird, um, <laughs> and it's created a lot of tension. You're like a babysitter. <laughs> no, you're like, no. You're like the Everyone... babysitter who who has to. Is it, you're a lot older, but you're like, hey, what are you guys listening to these days? <laughs> There has been a little bit of that, but the, I think one of the tensions early on was I brought a lot of my artistic ways of thinking and my frameworks for how to build projects. Like when you said you don't like when a curator provides a context, it's like I can't work with a curator unless they provide a context. Yeah. Like that's one of my requirements. Like I always say, tell me your problems. Like that's the kind of mm -hmm. the first question I have for a curator because I can't make work out of context as an artist that makes work about being present. Yeah. Um, But the same with these artists, like I was like, okay, here are my frameworks, and and they and but for some of them, they were politically opposed to them right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, well, I'm not going to compromise. I'm the director. <laughs> There is this one moment where, uh, like me and another artist, I was like, well, would you like to be the director <laughs> of the group? But it, and it, of course, like that's not a collective because there was a hierarchy that I was sort of like calling out. But there's also the myth of of uh, the individual genius in art, like in music. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that producers play a big role. Um, it, even if the band is five people, you can hear in the 70s or in the 80s, there would be a certain producer or a certain engineer and a certain sound came out of that and they motivated mm -hmm. these bands to do their best work of their career. That's so, right. And in art, there's the role of the gallerist, but artists also work with a lot of different people. So they'll work with curators or gallerists or I work with a programmer and... Uh, people work with printmakers or with uh, factories that build sculptures, etc. But the presentation is always, it's just easier for people to understand when there's a person who made that work. Even mm -hmm. if there's all these little things tied to it, but they're like... No, you're yeah, right. A, a different, like a, in, 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 I think in literature, I don't know how big the role of the editor is and... I think in movies it's clear that the director has a lot to say but of course the the photographer and the actor and the sound engineer mm -hmm. everything plays a role mm -hmm. um, but in and art those roles, we, are, those yeah. roles are clearly clearly but visible when you, when you think of Matisse and he made his best work when he was stuck in bed because he was sick and he had assistants um, <laughs> move pieces of colored paper around maybe those assistants played a large role and he was almost passed out So and that was his best work <laughs> A little to the left. Oh, well, yeah. I think he said right. <laughs> yeah, a little to the... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, he's asleep. Let's make it better. <laughs> Finally, that jerk's asleep. Yeah. Matisse. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because we were fighting today, or not fighting, discussing, like, the brand of this, like, temporary collective. 
And I think of, um, you know, the last Berlin Biennial was uh, Did you bring up your lactose intolerance and like, I'm suffering for you guys here with your <laughs> disgusting yeah, like, milk. You're making me sick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, they're actually really good. We've, we've gotten to a good point, but it took a while. Like, that's what I was reminded of. It's, like, it's not easy. It's like not easy to work with a new group of people. And like, especially groups of people that already have established careers and aren't yeah. used to working together. Yeah. And, and th- there are still some things that we're stuck on, you know? And then there's the, it, I'm, I'm just trying to think, are there examples of art collectives who you think did really great work? And, and could you, the, the question is, is the work different because it was made by a collective? Mm. I mean, yeah, like I mentioned General Idea earlier, they did do some really great work. Um, Uh, and can I mention the work? Uh, for them, the work, a lot of what they did, the work was about that collectivity. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in that way, the work But itself. Then there's something like Warhol, which was kind of a collective because mm-hmm. he had the factory and he had filmmakers. And Man, we bring up Warhol every episode. Have you noticed that? Got to watch out. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. And there's a few people that just, they, they're always escape. relevant. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll just... But, and then there's the model of, of Jeff Koons or Damien Hurst where... It's a huge amount of people working together and the, mm-hmm. the work could not be made. The work is so grandiose that you need a lot of people, but you still attribute it to one artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, like, because there are some design studios, if we're, you know, speaking to a design audience where there's a head or principal designer or several principals, like, or co-directors. Yeah. And then sometimes there's like just the CEO and it's like just the business side of things, but the face of the company. But there's usually a brand overarching all of that. And I, I was I was about to talk about the Berlin Biennial. Because, <laughs> the uh, CEO of United is the face <laughs> of the company. <laughs> well, you know, Dis Magazine did that la- the last Berlin Biennial, right? And I don't even know if they call themselves Dis Magazine or it's always been Dis. Maybe there was it's never just a magazine. And, well, yeah, they're, never, they're definitely a collective. Yeah. Yeah, but like the the way they started was not normal as a group of artists. It was more like as um, as a website, right? Yeah, as like a publication. Mm-hmm. So you know, as they an started, attitude. Yeah, yeah. I but guess uh, as, a yeah, bra- the, as a brand, though, right? Yeah, but it, I think their brand is really about a certain sense of humor. Yeah, and then I think of K Hole as another example that's kind of similar. But then they went from art into just design. They only do design now, right? I think K Hole. People yeah. who don't know K Hole, they maybe the, the individual movement. The in, the individual members have make art objects on their own. Right, right. Of course, right. But they they what I found actually what I found fascinating about their story is they started out as like kind of insiders that discovered you know how brands create brands, made a critical brand, Normcore. Then that became a mainstream. Uh, cultural kind of zeitgeist and other brands appropriated and then they're like oh we'll become an agency so we can monetize this and then they just became uh uh, they they were no longer a collective at that point but seemingly nothing had changed except the economic model one of the the problems of the economic model of the the collectives that you have to share the money with a lot of people and i've seen this with bands like Mm. a lot of my friends in amsterdam are in bands Uh-huh. And then there's a lot of DJs who just travel around the world with a thumb drive. Right. And the economics are so different when you have a band of five people plus an audio engineer plus a roadie and a driver. And it's like you get paid, the DJ gets paid 2,000 and the band gets paid 2,000, but you have to divide it by eight. So I would not recommend anyone starting a collective. Well, you bands have to just split don't the money. I would say, like, don't form a band because you're going to be poorer than anyone else. <laughs> you're going to work harder than anyone. Yeah, DJing is better. But but uh, 
I want to zoom out a little bit in art history because if we speak about current collectives, it's, I feel like it's a bit too close to measure it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so, so if we look at like before the 70s, if there were art collectives that uh, meant something to you? Let's, I mean, I know, I mean, there are movements that I'm familiar yeah, with. Yeah, that was the thing back then. It was movement. It wasn't collectives. Like I've mentioned Fluxus. Which but was in, a in, small uh, group of artists. It was a very small group. Yeah, but, but even before that, we, we don't know if the Greeks or the Romans, if they would call that collectives, but they would have a, a workshop with an architect and a vision and a lot of mm-hmm. artisans. Yeah. That was like, the way well, of working a pre- then. A pre- yeah, apprenticeship was part of that. But that's more of a, you know, that was just a model for education. I don't know if yeah, it was but really it, a model it's, for- I think it ends up, everything is very fluid. So you have the art movement, you mm-hmm. have the, the workshop with the master and the apprentice, and then you have the collective. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's basically, it's all a mess. It's interesting though. Like, I don't know, what is the difference between apprentice? Well, apprentice, because there's collect, like I said at the, at the outset, a, a collective is there's no, it's equal. Everyone is of equal hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you have an apprenticeship, there's clearly someone who's the teacher. Yeah. And, and then there's, the there's the thing with old master paintings that it came out of the workshop and the master might have hardly touched it. So even now people, a lot of historians are trying to figure out, is that a real Rembrandt or was it his workshop? Oh, right, 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 right. And so yeah, there must have been a very collective thing going on there. But Rembrandt it, would have had to like rebrand himself as like to be a collective would have to been like the you know like um, he'd call himself. Like, yeah, but but Rembrandt himself was a student and apprentice somewhere, and then he branched out on his own, and it's, so it's all very fluid. Like hmm. he he might have made things for a master that was less known than him and who was less talented, and mm-hmm. the pieces that he made in that workshop might be more interesting because of his contribution. So well, maybe. so technically he had a boss, but in, artistically he was the boss because he was more interesting. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking about like who gets the the attribution is kind of important. Yeah, so and and also the 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 who who put the juice in the smoothie, like who 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 put the tastiest part in the smoothie. And maybe it comes back to your film and music comparison, where the lead singer gets a lot more credit than the drummer i've never understood that because frankly drumming is amazing it's a but any, you know and <laughs> well i think people relate to uh, personalities and i think the voice you get a lot from a personality through a voice and mm-hmm. they're already on the mic so they talk between the songs and no yeah. i think you're right because one of my other collectives was a gonzo journalism collective called art stars uh and in some ways I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed by it but we did some i'm proud of some things we did and i didn't even form like the, the way you said it's fluid it didn't form like intentionally so a friend of mine was like one day asked me if i had a camera and if i'd help her out with this she was a journalist and she'd written about me before and i was like oh, okay like I'll, I'll come along with you i have a camera i can bring this is quite a few years ago and then we went to an opening and we just interviewed people about the opening. And then I was after the opening, I was like, we had a conversation. I was like, that was like interesting, but could we do like the, the interview was interesting, but I didn't find this like creatively that interesting. Would you ever, would you be interested in like performing this a little bit more? Mm. So they um, pushed you out of your shell. Well, no, like I was pushing her and she was pushing me. And, I, and then we came up with this concept, like, what if you were more of a character? <laughs> and what if when we went into these openings, we were like taking people down? I think it's because we were bitching about the opening and we were like, that sucked. Why didn't we just say that on camera? Or why didn't we ask a more difficult question? And then before I knew it, she was like, became this kind of monster in a way where we would always, she, 
she had very large breasts, which was became part of. This. I only say this because <laughs> this became part of the identity of what we decided we would do. We said if people are either going to love us or hate us, but we we know we can't get them to love us, so let's get them to hate us. And so we dressed her, and we got a stylist and kind of an editor, and we dressed her like so that she would be really loud and obnoxious, and like in a, in her, a sort of overacting theater way. Yeah, and that her breasts would be like an impossible distraction. <laughs> and she was really in control of that. Like it, we decided together, but really she was fully into it. And and then we would go and the people got more and more famous that we'd interview. Like we, I remember, and it got really crazy because sometimes we'd get them to do misogynist things or inappropriate things. And these were respected people. Like I remember we got- Was this Douglas, all on video? Yeah, yeah, it's all on. You can watch the videos on YouTube. Like, mm. like we interviewed Douglas Copeland once, and he refused to talk to us uh, because he doesn't do interviews at his openings. But we did it anyway, and he he's kind of a jerk on camera. And then we also did. Um, so this will be in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put some in the show notes because there's yeah. a lot of dirty old men, basically. <laughs> that because the art world's made up of a lot of old white guys. And we were able There's to. There's also a lot of dirty that. old women. Let's let's give them uh, their fair uh, share too. I think Louise uh, Louise Bourgeois, who I mentioned earlier, uh, kind soul. <laughs> you can't really <laughs> fault I've, her. I've, no I've, ever... I've come across dirty old women for sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're pretty. You're pretty hot uh, topic. Whenever. You're... <laughs> come here, uh, but anyway, boy. that just became the con- the you know kind of what we built, and people didn't as you know people watched for the car crash. It was like we were building these car crashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the, what was interesting but, but, is I was the, always behind the camera, and she was in front of the camera. So, but it was so it really became about her, and she still runs this. Uh, it's called Art Stars as like okay. a j- journalism kind of thing. She calls it a publication company, but it's now a company, and I don't even have anything to do with it. But, but, but early on, yeah, it was a collective. It's, it's it's more journalism than art. Yeah, but we thought of it as like kind of well, it was it it followed all the rules of a collective in that. Um, we were making, we wanted to make a statement. We wanted to make a, a work together. Yeah, yeah. Um, we wanted journalism to be a performance context, um, which is still my attitude towards things, right? I always like to take an existing structure and and kind yeah. of ma- use it as a material. So uh, yeah, so it for me, it still was successful collective work, but yeah. it became this, something else. This is a bit uh, unrelated, but we were talking about art movements, and I've always been fascinated with uh, tactiism. Which w- did I talk about that already? No, no. What's that? It's it was an art movement started by Marinetti, who also started the Futurists. But after that, he's like, "Oh, I can start an art movement. Let's start tactiism." Mm-hmm. And so it was all about touch, because oh. he thought that's one of the senses that we're not using so much in art. So the idea was to make touch poems, which would be a huge box that you would put your arms in and you would move around these different things and some were slimy and some were uh, mm. like sandpaper and some were like cotton but and that's very so similar to a flux kit like the fluxist had these okay like, but yeah. it, it was interesting that there's we have different senses and uh, vision is the first one used in visual arts mm-hmm. but a lot of them were tied in later so mm-hmm. especially sound and moving so what image. was the the manifesto so was, was all about a... that t- touch was such a big part of perception. And I, I also think about that in terms of uh, interactive art and that it's still, touch is still a, a sort of a, it, it brings an awkwardness because you're supposed to stare at things and not touch them. But children always want to touch stuff. 
But this was more of a movement than a collective. Yeah, record. but so back to our topic, that he made a manifesto and there were a bunch of artists, but it just never worked out, it never caught on. Mm. So yeah, that's so interesting it, it, that, that people will get together and, and <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'll sign the manifesto, I'll get some free trips. Oh, maybe and, a collective is just a failed movement. <laughs> it's like no one else wants to do it. We'll, yeah, we'll do yeah, it yeah. together. Yeah. Like, like punk was uh, initially intended as a visual arts movement and then the band was sort of an art joke uh, the sex pistols by malcolm mclaren but he came from an art background mm -hmm. so he intended it as a visual arts even though it was a band that reminds me of k-hole though like but talk about something that. that caught on yeah yeah that's true it hasn't gone away um yeah. and but it looks nothing like it originally was intended to look like right well yeah, yeah it, it's it's just he he planted a seed and it's grown into a rainforest <laughs> the beautiful ecology of punk yeah. music yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, i mean uh, that that that's that's what i'm doing here today and i, I I'm, I'm feeling i have mixed feelings about it but it's also kind of satisfying to like try and do it like try and work with new people even though it's i i would really recommend specifically for you if if i had to coach you jeremy <laughs> if i had to say something it's like Take a few selfish pills. You should you should turn up the selfish a little bit. I've been trying to do the opposite. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the, a lot of your YouTube videos that were... Yeah. It's just you playing around and you're not like trying to solve the world's problems. I know. I know. Yeah. Why am I trying so hard to solve the world's problems? And, and I always think about people who are like, yeah, you should teach because you, you can help the students. But then I think... If Warhol or Picasso or Pollock had spent all this time trying to help students, they wouldn't have helped those students. They would have helped five people, but because they made this great work, they helped many more people. Mm -hmm. So by mm -hmm. being selfish, you can help more people. Mm. There's a collectivism in selfishness. Well, I am really yeah. into the aesthetics of narcissism, which was, um, you know, because I come from a video art background. Yeah. That was yeah. like um, the body and the camera. Yeah, there was this idea that you could collaborate or have a collective with an electronic device. And so that, that basically... <laughs> make love you, to the camera. Yeah, make love to the camera is actually a real... It's kind of like a cybernetic uh, collective in a way. And my, my, my thesis is generally that we're all doing this anyway with our phones. And I actually don't think it's a negative. Like a lot of people will get really angry at someone if they're looking at their phone. But I'm like, why get in the way of that beautiful collaboration? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> I think the problem with the phone is that it, so it, it creates kind of a monotony to life. It's just, it's just no, but I think it's just a very successful collective. Like there's literally zero friction. It's just yeah. pure, pure. Yeah, I, I also, I also think that uh, the the cell phone became an extension. It became an extra organ. We we can move our hands to visualize things, or we can mm -hmm. say them. But now, when you're like talking about oh, what's a kumquat? Oh, it's a citrus fruit, and you eat it with the shell, and then you show it. So it's mm -hmm. almost like you're projecting your brain at that moment on the on the screen of your phone. So that's a way of collaborating that... Uh, yeah, like, because yeah. imagine the f a future where collaboration or collective happens through neural networks like yeah, that are yeah. human. So like three human brains, and you're just thinking, and the thoughts are shared. At that point, you're basically, uh, you know, using a cell phone, but with another human. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, and, and basically, there would be no friction. I don't know if there'd be arguments between these brains, but I have a feeling that there wouldn't because they'd be like, we have shared consciousness. Yeah. In sort of the I, I always thought that uh, we're on a path to max maximum communication. 
mm-hmm. and it might take a thousand years. And then I always thought of brains as batteries with different electric charges. And if you connect all those batteries with perfect uh, induction, or what do you call it, <laughs> frictionless electricity, at some point it'd just be silence because all the different currents in the different brains will just equalize and that'll just be the end. Oh, I see what you're saying. We finally understand yeah. each other. We don't need to communicate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing yeah. to say because communication is so bad that you constantly have to update each other because that would be that's the name of our new book it's in like something like the big bang but it'd be like the big quiet (laughs) yeah yeah exactly hush Hush, a revolution by Raphael Rosenthal. <laughs> yeah, opposite of a revolution. Just, the cover would just be a picture of you with one finger over your mouth. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be in okay. My hand or something. Yeah. yeah, like on the a quote, but you know, the New York Times says, "No, I it's definitely be okay." <laughs> I definitely think the world is people are too dramatic. <laughs> I I believe that a hundred percent. I think you can usually laugh about most of what's wrong uh, but yeah lighten it up a little bit but you do have to acknowledge that there's something wrong first and that it's going to be okay if we work together to fix it you know i think most of the people go around thinking there's no problems and that's not good acknowledge Mm -hmm. the problem laugh at it and then help that person out of you know darkness or out of their difficult position anyway but there's something there's something interesting about um so I, i think it's really clear in, in many professions and industries that collaboration is, is very productive. So we can agree that Wikipedia is great because people work together. We yeah, can agree great. that a lot of open source software is great, but also corporate structures are great to get a lot of brains working in the same direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then in art, I think it's very interesting that that is a, a facet of humanity where you get to be completely selfish and unpractical well, and, here's the and there's like, and there's yeah. some guilt attached to it because everybody when you make art you're like well is anyone going to like this is 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 this useful to anyone mm-hmm. uh, right well it's like i'm working with some people one, one of the people i'm working with right now she's like she's a member in a squat community like in hamburg it's really interesting actually because one of the neighborhoods is called gangafittel and gangafittel is like four square blocks of squat like and Mm -hmm. they have a whole economy there's bars coffee shops stores they manufacture their own schnapps and this is all run by the people who live in this community as well and Mm -hmm. it's not and it's weirdly it's right next to the financial community as well like there's like (laughs) office buildings and then there's like four blocks of squat (laughs) and And you can get free dreadlocks and things like that well this is the thing they're they so they and it's like they have a full like holacracy so like that is to say like and uh, holacracy is like a term that i think tony say might have from zappos invented i'm not sure Mm -hmm. but you know the idea that it's it's all bottom up instead of democracy it's it's like democracy but everyone's kind of like working together it's like flat um and she was saying like but they also don't believe in uh value exchange being money and so they're They're always in crisis about how to price things in the coffee shop. Well, I do. I, I've been to a lot of punk shows in squats. Yeah. And I always found it very fascinating that the place runs, everything's fine, but all the products in there are way cheaper than in the normal world. Mm-hmm. And then you think like, yeah, everything's inflated because you want a nice display and you want nice lighting and you want this and that. And then ev- the price of everything goes up. So it's a very well, sort is, of Calvinist... Yeah, but yeah. it's a constant struggle for them. She was saying they had to—they were trying to come up with a way because there's now tourists that are like coming to this place to to let because everything's pay what you can within the gangfito. Yeah. yeah. But then when they pay, like they might pay too little, 
<laughs> and what they're saying is like if you're a tourist you can't come and exploit us and so they're trying to come up with a color coding system but basically i don't know it's really funny because it's like a whole performance to get around uh i don't know the, if it's really on the, topic the other but it's thing like yeah they're trying to invent the whole world from scratch i guess yeah. that's what i'm saying what i it's find like, very fascinating is that these squats and this way of doing business and collaborating exists all over the world mm-hmm. and everybody always dresses the same whether they're in in uh, in Portland or they're in France or they're in Eastern Europe. I haven't seen squats in Asia, so maybe it's different. But they always wear a baseball hat with piercings through it, and they always have uh, cargo pants and uh, army boots, and it's all very practical. But I've never been to a squat where they all dress very colorful. It's always kind of army mm. colors and because that's maybe a cult. Just, you're talking about a cult. Like as soon as it's yeah, colorful, but it, it, in this <laughs> in this squat, were they all? Uh, what what was the dress code? Uh, what, what they just look like regular people. Oh, okay, they but weren't you, wearing hats with the piercings in them. No, I mean, yeah, there are some people like that, but um, it's just like, funny because it's all about freedom and being different, and then everybody decides to be the same. But I think it, you know, it's funny. As soon as there's design, maybe this is where I was going to go. It's like it's no longer collab. It's no longer collective. It's no longer collaborative. It's no and collective is really kind of a communist term. So it's like no longer communal. There's like inherent in design is choice, right? Like there's and there's and there's and there's an, an implicit bias towards utility, and so that means there's a single way of doing things and as soon as there's a single way of doing things someone's not happy and as soon as someone's not happy the collective is broken and all comes tumbling down and so if there is to be an aesthetic choice it would be it would just that's probably they got the cargo pants was the first meeting and it's like (laughs) we can't decide on anything else (laughs) <laughs> and so we, let it be written and let it be done <laughs> yeah exactly what are we wearing all right just write that down <laughs> yeah. but it you know it reminds me that sometimes like the american political system too is built up with all these checks and balances in such a way that like no wrong decision can be made but like the same thing can happen on the other side like if you're too i think that's why you don't like you know you said you don't like the collective it's like too democratic and of course there's design by committee you know, writing by committee. This has always got a. Sa- People say it's bad, right? Because well, there's, no, for, for there's me, no point of view. There's something very important, and that that's H three D specifically. They were always questioning the the relevance of art because it was so nobody cares about art except collectors, and it, mm-hmm. it's just it's just fancy stuff to put in a house, and it's a cynical way of looking at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think no matter what the economic structure around it, I'm just interested in this pursuit of uh, completely individual, unpractical ideas. And so I'm I'm very, for that reason, I'm very uh, skeptic or suspicious of collectives in visual art. No, and I, I kind of support your position because when I give an artist talk, I always start the talk by saying, um, hi, I'm famous new media artist Jeremy Bailey. And that, and and I believe you're famous too. And then, yeah. it, like, mm-hmm. I try and convince each of them that they have the same potential, and they should call themselves famous because their singular point of view has value. Because the, you know, that's the opportunity that the internet and sort of our modern society provides. And if you wanted to have a collective point of view, well, yeah, yeah. That, but for me, it's it's even more. Uh removed from use like I, I don't even mm-hmm. know if it's good that everybody expresses themselves it's just what I'm interested in yeah but the, like being yeah I don't know I mean there was just did you read that Adam Curtis essay where he talks about the dangers of self-expression 
No, why don't you summarize it? I probably well. Basically, I, he he said that uh, we have this promise of the individualistic society, and that everybody can say what they want and be mm-hmm. free, and and so the creativity is very highly valued. But it mm-hmm. it undermines people getting together and taking action collectively mm. to do something like raise minimum wage. Or uh, I don't know if I'm summarizing it the right way, but it, our times feel like oh, it's great if you can do something on your own and you're free. Yeah. But that that is a way of uh, taking the tools away from people to organize. Yeah, but I also think that it, in self-empowerment is the first step towards collective action. So it's like, if you feel like yeah. your voice is n- meaningful, then you're less likely to be yeah, a yeah. valuable voice in collective action. So I would say that there are steps to this. And so for th- hundreds of years, most people were told your voice is not important. Your voice is not important. Your voice is not important. There's one singular voice. It's the voice of yep. God. And then we introduced some new voices, the voice of politicians or kings, kings, which were closer to God, then politicians, which are closer to the king and, you know, queen. And then and then we introduced like, you know, your boss, your, your factory foreman, da, 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 da. We, we have this division or hierarchical structure. But at the end of the day, most people had no value. Their voice had no value. Mm-hmm. And you know, with the invention of the printing press, different technologies arrived, and this is kind of the history of new media, really, as well, that gave people who didn't have voices or power, power to share, to have a voice. And also for power access to information. Access to information and access to um, broadcasting their point of view. And I often find that people are critical of that or people who already have the privilege to communicate with a lot of people, right? They already have a position yeah, of power. Yeah, like why do we need the, the 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 peasants to talk? Yeah, like I don't know. Did you have you watched that crazy documentary on um, Tony Robbins on on Netflix? I, I watched it for ten minutes. I couldn't. Uh, you could. You, like, if you can like hold on for the whole thing, it's kind of interesting because basically he he is he is definitely a singular kind of uh, communicator. Force. Like he's force yeah but he's for like 20 years kept his like seminars that he holds like secret from cameras and stuff so he hasn't like shared them i mean of course he's written books and he's created like a whole self-help empire but most of the time he spends in this like room <laughs> he's a bit too much america for me he's, like, I like he's a little crazy bit of america. <laughs> yeah. i like i like to think of him now as like a a great model for satirical performance but also like the way he can manipulate people's way of thinking about their agency and what mm-hmm. their you know the control they have over their lives i think is really fascinating because most of us assume we don't have agency or we don't have the ability to sort of most people are just telling us not to say what we think right and i just think that um again like i said earlier it's powerful when someone in power says hey actually i care about what you're saying yeah and then if a thousand people say that and then ten thousand and then i don't know that's a much better world i think where we're all screaming even if we disagree, I think it's a much more interesting world than if there's just one point of view. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and so the the idea with the collective is that uh, you have more energy. Well, the collective is like taking that collective, all that screaming, and trying to say one thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. often, I think what you're saying is sometimes that can end up being you're saying things. What I was saying all day today was like that sounds like porridge. Like you just say like vanilla. Um, And it's really boring. But every once in a while, you get a group of people that all are saying the same thing. And it's a really interesting thing. And those are the collectives we remember, right? Or those are the bands we remember. Those are the... The The, the only collective uh, whose work I really like is uh, Gilbert and George. But Mm -hmm. off the top of my head, are there other collectives that you love? 
I was trying to think of that before we got into because especially when you, s- you see them talking, it's almost like they're one person. So that's very interesting. It's like when twins talk and they finish each other's sentences. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because before we started the collect uh, the podcast, I like took my thirty seconds of research. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, who do I, uh, you know, I and, I and I look through a list of different uh, collectives and like some of my favorites came up. Like the Gorilla Girls was one that mm-hmm. uh, was important in the nineties because they, you know, became a voice for feminists in the art world. And again, it was structural. Like there were, there was in they were they were sort of critiquing the institution and so it was like institutional critique from a feminist point of view they couldn't have done that as individual women as successfully as they did as an anonymous collective of gorillas which i like right it's like a powerful concept yeah um did you and know it makes those? sense when you have a political goal yeah yeah because yeah collectivizing makes sense again it's like i said like if you know a hundred people are all screaming the same thing. It's powerful, but if ten thousand are screaming the same thing, it's like it's a revolution. Did you know that the French Revolution though was started by a collective, an art collective? Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. They occupied the Louvre. That's oh, how. really? Yeah. Um, so, I, but that, that was like I didn't know that either. Things can happen. Like, yeah, things can happen. And I, so I think it's always been a you know kind of uh, a part of the history of collectives, but. You know, yeah. the, the, the Fluxus, I think of as a movement, but some people refer to them as a collective. Um, there was Ant Farm. I don't know if you remember Ant Farm from, like, um, the 1970s. They were, like, um, kind of also political, but made films and documentaries and things. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of collective, uh, painting collectives, or, like, people who would make... Because it, it, it I understand it makes a lot of sense with performance. Mm-hmm. And and uh, po- political art, but I'm trying to think of people who would collectively. Well, one recent collective that I often I w- wasn't sure about at first, um, but I've kind of enjoy their work a little bit for being like again, like you said, outside of the normal art context is Friends with You, the LA collective mm-hmm. that started out by making children's playgrounds. Yeah. And um, how many people I, is that? I actually don't know how many, like, and actually I know nothing about the artists that started it because they also created these characters and it's like, all I know is really... They're like they're the w- Daft Punk of the art world. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't I don't know. There's There have, there have been a few collectives, but there aren't, yeah. it really isn't that popular a format or that successful a format. Well, like, I, I think it goes back to what you said that people identify with the singer of the band. And so mm. there might be a lot of artists uh, like Murakami in Japan or Damien mm-hmm. Hurst where there's so many people in their staff that are super talented and they're actually making a lot of decisions, but you just identify with the face yeah, in the front. Yeah, that's true. Like Critical Art Ensemble is another one that comes to my mind. And Steve Kurtz, uh, who's now a pretty famous bio artist, I think he's like the most known. But no one else knows the other members of that. It was like I said mm-hmm. with A.A. Bronson, right? Like one of them has to stand out, right? Yep. But for that reason, I think the Gorilla Girls is a really interesting one because no one, still, no one knows who they are, and they had this idea that different people could occupy, just like the kind of just like the anonymous movement, that different women could be the Gorilla Girls, yeah. and this idea yeah, yeah. of collective identity within a collective. I think yeah, is, but in, that works in theory. That's kind of what corporations are, and then they they <laughs> hope that once the founder is out, like. Right. Steve Steve Jobs died and he says I hope this company will be like Disney is like something that continues even after the visionary founder is gone. But that's true. Yeah. A company is a little bit like a collective if there is no hierarchy in a company. Like and once mm-hmm. the CEO is gone really 
in a way there isn't be- if they're still operating as if it's just like this collective identity yeah um, but even in nowadays CEOs be- become such a face more than uh, I think 30 years ago I don't think people could name CEOs Uh, yeah, now it's, it's now it's such a thing. There's such a cult, and then the there's shaming of the entrepreneur. Of the, yeah, and then there's the shaming when they do something wrong. And the, <laughs> oh boy, that United guy! <laughs> uh, wow, well, come on, come on! That guy lost two teeth. He had a concussion. <laughs> I know, I know, it's terrible. I, I mean, everybody hates airlines. It's, We've got to do an episode on customer service. We actually yeah. have a long backlog of uh, of episodes that we need to catch up on on requests. I keep we keep getting requests for themes and. We're not being we're, we we're not rejecting well, uh, them. I'm I'm hoping that we'll both live to be 120. We do one <laughs> podcast a week, so we'll be able to do quite a few topics. Well, yeah, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, we, I started it when we started out. I was like, are, are we going to have enough to talk about after five episodes? <laughs> so the art world's bigger than than you think. I guess is the the lesson here. Anyway, I don't know if I have anything more to say about collectives. We wanted to talk about festivals because I'm going to a festival later this week, but I think that's for another week. Um, yeah, yeah. So hold on to your horses. Is that what this is? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're about to travel a little bit soon, right? Mm, well, I'm going to LA in two weeks, I think. Mm, and I'm going, going to the beach tomorrow. We're going to Long Island. Does that count? Oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's an well, hour drive. That sounds like a wonderful life. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, not bad. <laughs> I'm going. Guess where I'm going? I'm going to uh, the opposite of the beach. I'm going to <laughs> Belgrade in Serbia, which actually yeah. I'm told is a really cool, cool place. Um, but I've never been to. It's nice food. The Balkans. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't know. I I'm my assumption going in is it's don't drink be the milk. To, really. Oh, you. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> Don't I've be tempted. Forgotten. This is very unique milk. This is Serbian milk. It has the highest fat content of all. I get very oh, excited. They, they do have this really delicious, uh, it's between butter and cream cheese. I'm not sure if that would uh, stress your stomach, but it's delicious. Oh, I have, to, I have to try it. <laughs> yeah. I must torture myself. Well, the last time I was in Germany, too, it's like the food here is so fatty. Um, yeah, yeah. It can yeah. be, so... Well, it, it it's always that thing where I, I don't drink that much, but every country you visit, they're like, no, you have to try this. This is very unique. And it's always this stuff that tastes like lighter fluid, mm. but they have a different one in each country. Like, no, no, this is... Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're always like, this is the special... <laughs> yeah, it's made from this, and you're like, it just, just tastes and like... And I think right. both of us will take a sip and go... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but people are, and no, no, I don't think anyone drinks that stuff, though, when their guest isn't there. They're just trying to impress you, so it's mm-hmm. good nature. Yeah. So this week's recording, field recording, comes to us from a listener, uh, Jacob Zimmer. And you Jacob, know him personally? I do. Kind of, like, introduced to me recently. He's He runs a small theater company called Smallwood and Shoe. And he asked me to be on his uh, like at one of his like live performances, which he also like broadcasts as a podcast over Christmas. It was quite funny, but I remember I arrived um, to this event and I was going to be on the show, but I was in the audience and I didn't ask him any questions. I just said, you know how you said I should be more selfish? Well, I was unselfish and I just said yes and I showed up. <laughs> and then he's like, get on. Okay, Jeremy, welcome. And, and I, he didn't tell me what was going to happen. He said, I'm just going to talk to you. And then he turned out, the lights went out and I was on stage and I was in total darkness and then he's like welcome to our segment talking in the dark and I was just like 
I was like wearing my short shorts and turtleneck and I was like I had none of my technology and I was like you've taken away all of my superpowers <laughs> but it ended up being really kind of funny because I that's like make... D- Dumbo when they take away his feather exactly but it was like I had tried to do stand-up comedy in pitch black no one could see me and I couldn't see them and it was really interesting <laughs> it was like a bit like a podcast actually now that, that sounds I think about cool it. yeah yeah so anyway Jacob uh, is kind of a, a funny guy and he tries to do things differently he's like starting uh, some sort of like a yeah I don't know so this He's, is both an ad and a field recording well I just think shout like out to Jacob into one. Any, yeah. anyone who shares stuff I, I like you know I think our listeners are really talented yeah for sure so Jacob's in uh, the Atlantic provinces of Canada. He's in Lunenburg, which is a beautiful, like, it's like one of the oldest towns in Canada. And it's right on the, the water, um, in the ocean, I guess, in the Maritimes. I don't yeah, know he, if it's an inlet. He included a photo. So it looked like yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. And so he's recorded the sound of sort of the waves lapping up against the, the, the I guess, the, the rocks yeah, near where Yeah, kind of staying. the sweet spot. Of, uh, it's not too... Uh, not too little, not too. Ma- yeah, and it's a nice, right. nice. Yeah. Actually, I like that it's from Lunenburg because that's where I went on one of the places I went on my honeymoon when I got married a few years ago. So, good um, memories. Yeah, it's good memories. So just kind of okay. Relax. Let's let's uh, stop talking and listen to the sounds. All right, I'll, I'll shut up now, Jeremy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Take care. <laughs>